0: but for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, posted January 18, 2023, titled, Does God Exist? Four New
1: Arguments. Prager you Response. You know, for 27 years, I was an atheist. And for many more years than that, I was a Christian. I thought anyone who believed in a God or gods was, well, stupid, or uneducated, naive, gullible.
0: I thought anyone who didn't believe in God was merely suppressing the truth
1: in unrighteousness. Or just into the gig for money, sex, and power. Oh man, my Christianity was void of all those things. I mean, after all, everyone knows that religion is just a psychological crutch for intellectual weaklings, right? So, what changed my mind?
0: The title of your video says, Four New Arguments. Can't wait to hear them. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. At the request of one of my viewers, today we're looking at a PragerU video called Does God Exist? Four New Arguments. Before there was cold case detective J. Warner Wallace and investigative reporter Lee Strobel, the non-believer with a middle America respected career turned Christian, apologetics mantle was carried by Frank Pastore. Frank was a major league pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds in the early 80s.
1: Well, look, I tell the whole story in my book, Shattered, but for our purposes here on Prager University, I was simply challenged by my Christian teammates on the Cincinnati Reds to read some religious books, critique them, and then share with the guys where the authors were wrong and why atheism is the only real and true outlook for anyone not deceived by fantasy, fiction, or mythology. It's unclear what
0: kind of special skills are inherent to being a baseball player a very particular set of skills that should cause anyone to be particularly impressed that a pitcher became convinced. I suspect this aspect was played up purely for the celebrity of it. Before we get too far, I should acknowledge that Frank passed away in tragic circumstances in 2012. On November 19, 2012, Frank was being interviewed on James Dobson's family talk show. And he said this.
1: I mean, look, you guys know I ride a motorcycle, right? So at any moment, uh, especially with the idiot people who cross the diamond lane into my lane, all right, without any blinkers, not that I'm angry about it, but uh, at any minute, I could be spread all over the 210, but that's not me. That's my body part.
0: As if prophesying, that very night, Pastori was indeed struck by another driver on the 210 freeway and died of those injuries. So... While Frank will be unable to respond to my commentary, Prager, you chose to post this video in February of 2014, 15 months after his passing, and it has garnered over a million views.
1: So it's fair game and impactful enough to deserve addressing. I mean, for someone who wants to base their beliefs and values upon evidence and argument, not emotion and tradition. Now look, simply put, I set out to disprove theism. And I set out to prove theism. Frank and I are just opposites in every way. Which I didn't think would take very long. But I ran into some difficulties along the way. (laughs) Difficulties like Aristotle, Augustine, Aquinas. Aristotle,
0: Augustine, and Aquinas? I don't know. I was just going to start with the A names and then go through the alphabet. And
1: I'm only at the A's, so, yeah.
0: Now, I checked Frank's book to see what books his teammates challenged him to read. They weren't as lofty as Aristotle, Augustine, or Aquinas. They were Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, and an unnamed book on science and the origins of the universe from a Christian perspective. I'll not disparage these works beyond my personal experience that, for me, they were not convincing or compelling. More objectively, I can observe that Mere Christianity was published in 1952. And Evidence That Demands a Verdict was published in 1972. So even back in 2012, nothing found in them could have counted as new arguments. But what have you learned, Frank? What have you got for us?
1: I mean, in simple terms, I was confronted with the awareness that there are really four big bangs that have to be accounted for, not just one. I had never really even considered that before.
0: This is sounding quite a bit like creationist Kent Hovind's insistence that there are six types of evolution.
1: There are six meanings to the word. Are you talking
0: about cosmic evolution, the origin of time, space, matter? Are we talking about chemical evolution? Which brings up, of course, stellar evolution. How did the stars form? Fourthly, there's going to have to be organic evolution. Then we're going to have to have what's called macroevolution. Lastly, we have what is called... Microevolution. Non-scientists jamming together words plucked from science in ways that scientists don't use them doesn't demonstrate insight, it demonstrates misunderstanding at best, and deliberate misrepresentation at worst.
1: I mean, we're all familiar with the first Big Bang, right? It's usually the answer given to the question, why is there something rather than nothing?
0: It is absolutely in no way intended to answer the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Big Bang cosmology is the description of our universe, as in a state of expansion, after an initial state of high density.
1: Our whole universe was in a high density.
0: Notice that the initial state isn't nothing, the initial state is high density, or in some cosmological models a singularity, or in others quantum vacuums. Science is not settled on the initial state, if indeed it can ever be known confidently, What's important here is that no cosmological model posits an initial condition of nothing.
1: It's the idea that there was nothing, it popped, and boom, there's something.
0: We just went over that. Nope. It's only the Christian apologists who put forth this nothing idea.
1: I mean, that time, matter, and space all came into existence in some great cosmological flash about 16 billion years ago. For a third time,
0: Matter and energy aren't thought to have come into existence at the Big Bang. Modern science has the event around 13.8 billion years ago, not 16, and it couldn't have been a flash since it was at least 200,000 years after the initial expansion that the universe was cool enough for photons to act as light. Frank is wrong about all of this, but mostly about something and nothing.
1: There was no gradual development, no transitional forms, just a binary flip, a metaphysical, now you don't see it and now you do.
0: There absolutely was gradual development. Scientists have good working models from the first seconds through to the first billion years of cosmological development. As I mentioned, light took hundreds of thousands of years. So it wasn't, now you don't see it, now you do. But even Frank seems to know this, at least in part.
1: Astrophysicists tell us that this first Big Bang yielded only a handful of fundamental elements and that it would take billions and billions of years for the nuclear furnaces of trillions of stars to yield the 118 elements in the periodic table.
0: This admission completely contradicts the binary flip complaint he just made.
1: But the first theoretical cosmological Big Bang Well, it only yields matter and energy. It doesn't even begin to address the origin of life.
0: This is true. Cosmology doesn't address the origin of life in much the same way that geology doesn't address what temperature to bake muffins. Or medicine doesn't address the best material for bridge building. These are simply different branches of study.
1: So, how do you get life from non-life? How did abiogenesis occur? I mean, the notion that something can come from nothing. Abiogenesis also isn't
0: something from nothing. It's life from non-life, but it's all ultimately chemical processes. The path from a world with only inorganic chemical reactions to one with some chemical reactions we label as biological is mundanely gradual.
1: Where's the evidence? Well... You're going to need another something from nothing leap of faith, some kind of biological second big bang. Again,
0: chemical reactions becoming increasingly complex isn't a something from nothing situation. Life is an arbitrary subcategory of chemical reactions. In a universe filled with chemical reactions, it's not a new mystery substance to be identified.
1: For all the mind blowing advancements we've made in physics, biology, and chemistry in just the past hundred years, we're still no closer to making it happen. We don't have a clue. The closer we look, the wider the chasm.
0: This isn't true. Many experiments demonstrate spontaneous self-organization of inorganic chemicals into the building blocks of self-replicating molecules. There are multiple proposed paths to RNA and DNA. Frank's standard is to have abiogenesis repeated in a lab. But there's no reason to suspect the process took place within a single human lifetime for observation. And even achieving this in a lab wouldn't guarantee that the lab process matched the natural process that led to us. And creationists would further insist that the lab experiment demonstrates that intelligence is necessary for life.
1: I mean, sure, we've learned a lot about how to manipulate life forms, how to add and subtract DNA material, even map the human genome. But... We have no idea how to literally create life from dead stuff. We have
0: many ideas about how it happened. Ultimately, recreate it in a lab is an unnecessarily rigid and narrow standard for evaluating the plausibility of life emerging naturally.
1: Now look, at this point, we still only have physics, chemistry, and some basic biology or matter, energy, and simple life, if you will, but... We still don't have a way to account for the great diversity of life forms. I mean, the huge differences between bacteria, plants, and animals.
0: Evolution is literally nothing but the accounting for the biological diversity we observe on Earth. Frank is free to point out any problems he perceives the field to have. But at this point, the evidence is so strong that millions of Christians accept it with no more reluctance than the fact that the Earth orbits the sun. Even hardcore young earth creation ministries like Answers in Genesis acknowledge the mechanisms of natural selection and quibble only on time scale.
1: Nor do we have a way to account for the differences between man and animal. By
0: any definition of animal, humans are animals. It may hurt to hear it, but the distinctive qualities of humans are no greater than the distinctive properties of eagles. Or pine trees.
1: We still don't have an anthropology at this point. So we're going to need a kind of anthropological third Big Bang to account for all this, which of course is what Darwin was after in his Descent of Man thesis. Now, look, Darwin answered a lot of questions, but he could never answer the core question How did evolution begin? I mean,
0: DNA hadn't been discovered yet when Darwin was writing. So faulting a man working in the 1800s for being incomplete isn't much of a complaint. That said, we've already covered that evolution is about biodiversity only. Abiogenesis is about the origin of organic chemistry. Frank's complaint is no more coherent than grumbling that where you get your tires changed isn't the same building where your car was manufactured.
1: But hey, we're still not done describing the world that is all around us. A final Big Bang is going to be required to explain how a mechanistic animal brain can become a self-reflective human mind.
0: There's a test called mirror self-recognition, which is a behavioral indication of self-awareness that is passed not only by human children, but also dolphins, elephants, magpies, and all the great apes. What we sometimes perceive as differences between humans and animals are degrees of development.
1: Never entirely unique material or stuff. Even the lowest life forms have brains and central nervous systems. I mean, how does something like that become the mind of a Michelangelo, a Shakespeare, a Beethoven? Come on, animals don't do art and they don't appreciate beauty. One need look no further
0: than mating preferences and rituals to dismiss the notion that animals don't appreciate beauty or at least have aesthetic preferences. Art and beauty are in the eye of the beholder, of course, and it would be difficult to rule out animal behaviors as not having artistic intent in their own way. Many species have partaken in human artistic endeavors, including pigs, primates, elephants, dolphins, rabbits, and donkeys. In fact, there have had to be court cases about who owns the copyright to animal-created art. One might dismiss these behaviors in non-human animals as an extension of instinctual behavior to find food, mates, or something beneficial for survival, rather than an appreciation of beauty, but I would counter with the observation that the same could be true of humans. Frank is basically a proponent of human exceptionalism, a notion that his species is somehow in a whole separate category for entirely arbitrary post-hoc reasons.
1: But the problem is even more basic than that. How do you account for free will?
0: If your definition of free will is the ability to have made a different choice under identical circumstances, then I don't accept that humans have free will. For some choices, we endeavor upon a process of conscious deliberation, which gives us the feeling of free will, But if each step in our deliberations can be broken down to subconscious reactions to stimuli, then the entire process is ultimately determined by existing physical factors.
1: And introspection, let alone man's pressing existential drive to ask why. Well, we're going to need some kind of psychological fourth big bang to account for man's moral and aesthetic sense in his search for meaning, significance, and purpose and of course his appreciation for the true, the good, and the beautiful. Consciousness, while not yet fully
0: understood, in part because it isn't fully well-defined, is best explained as an emergent property of brains, in the same way that wetness is an emergent property of water. No individual water molecule is wet, but put enough together and they are. Damage a brain, and you damage the consciousness. Affect the brain, and you affect the consciousness in predictable ways. There is mystery remaining, but that future explanations lie in the physical realm is of little doubt. And to Frank's point, self-appreciation, moral sense or empathy, aesthetic appreciation, these all exist in the animal kingdom in a spectrum. The difference between human behavior and that of other animals is quantifiable in terms of more of this or less of that not in something uniquely exclusive to the domain of humanity.
1: And again, you must understand these problems require bangs. I mean, sudden binary pops into existence, since there's no evidence for any gradual development in any of these.
0: Say what you will about the evidence of gradual development. There is absolutely evidence of a gradient of complexity in all of the areas Frank spoke of. Some molecules are of simpler composition than others. In fact, that's how we order our chemicals. Biological features like vision, circulation, and locomotion have full spectrums of complexity on display even in the extant creatures we know today. This includes a full spectrum of self-awareness, expression, and concern for other members of the species. None of this is all or nothing. All of it is absolutely on a gradient that is well-explained through natural processes. So I, like you,
1: have a choice. It's either faith in these four big bangs of somethings from nothings.
0: None of the proposed mechanisms to explain cosmic inflation, organic chemistry, diversity of life, or consciousness are something from nothing. Each builds on something else. It's okay if Christians don't want to accept that these happened by naturalistic processes, but don't fall for this obvious mischaracterization of those who do. If you want to reject the science, you owe it to yourself to reject what's actually proposed and not a baseball player's misconstrued notion of it, nor this secular YouTuber's notion of it, for that matter. Please check for yourself. I was the kind of Christian that Frank hopes you are the one who doesn't check
1: to account for what we see all around us or faith in some kind of creator God behind it all.
0: This is obviously a false dichotomy. An actual dichotomy would be those who think God created and those who don't think God created. There are obviously millions of Christians who accept cosmology, biological evolution, and neuroscience while still holding to their faith in God. Others may doubt God and also doubt the current proposed materialistic explanations. I'm very disappointed that Frank brought no new arguments to the new arguments video. These are four variations of God of the Gaps arguments. What is God of the Gaps? God is like a Greek deity, invented to cover up our lack of understanding. So if you don't know what lightning is, you have a God of lightning. And we call a god like that a god of the gaps because once we discover how lightning works, the god disappears. An incomplete scientific understanding of a phenomenon doesn't imply a supernatural cause. That wasn't necessary for lightning back in the
1: height of Zeus worship, and it isn't necessary now. So, next time someone asks you, hey, what about the Big Bang? Make sure you ask them, which one? The cosmological, biological, anthropological, or psychological.
0: Which one are you talking about? There are six meanings to the word. Fun fact, it was Fred Hoyle, an opponent of the cosmic inflation hypothesis, that labeled them Big Bang Theory as a hyperbolic pejorative meant to demean it. Ultimately, this inaccurate misnomer stuck, even in scientific circles, and so it persists to this day. It is no small irony that Frank Pastore is attempting to besmirch other well-researched, well-evidenced scientific fields with the same inaccurate label in an attempt to strawman and assure Christians that scientists are silly people who believe in silly things. It was authorities like Frank who kept me from investigating the facts for myself for far too many decades. If there's one thing you can take from the life stories of Frank Pastore and Paul Gia, it's that there's no substitute for researching your beliefs for yourself. You never know what you might be wrong about. I'm Frank Pastore for Prager University. I'm Paul for Paul Gia. Tap on the video on screen now for a more examination of the claims of Christians, and I'll see you over there. Later.